This episode of Access Utah is made possible with support from Utah Women's Giving Circle, a grassroots community with everyday philanthropists raising the questions and raising the funds to empower Utah women and girls. Information at utahwomensgivingcircle.com. Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. How do survivors of sexual trauma overcome the mental health issues that often accompany these kinds of experiences? Today on the program, we're going to talk with survivors about their healing journeys, as well as a wide variety of healers who help people overcome trauma in many different ways. Our guests will include Camille Letellian, who has spent two decades teaching healing through movement, Alethea Cox, survivor of childhood sexual trauma, who started a nonprofit for children who've suffered abuse, became a healer using vibrational sound. Robin Lopez, who began uh, social work in 1993, has moved into the realm of EDMR therapy and yoga. Amber Richardson, who's a storyteller, credits in many mediums, and uh, she's produced a YouTube series, Splitting the Sky, and a podcast on Sovereign Wings. We'll also be talking with Lila Smile, a survivor of sexual abuse, whose own path to healing led her through a lot of counseling and eventually into her own healing work as a massage therapist and an owner of a wellness center. We're opening uh, the... uh, uh, email for you as well. Love to hear your story. If you'd like to share it to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. Uh, and we start with uh, Daphne Larson. Uh, Daphne Larson was not able to join us live in the program today, and so we recorded our conversation on Friday. Uh, Daphne Larson has offered Healing Touch, Reiki, and other vibrational healing since uh, 2013. And we began uh, talking about the modalities that she uses. I use Reiki, and Reiki is a form of energy healing that is um, literally um, uh, transcribed as spiritual guided life energy. So Reiki is a Japanese word, so it's it's a healing modality that involves energy and intention that is that was founded in Japan and then slowly trickling over here to the West. And uh, it uses spiritual guided energy that provides a healing to a client. And it could be done in person, or it could be done via distance or remotely. Mm. Uh, either way, uh, tell me a little bit more about this. So a person comes to you, either remotely or uh, in person, uh, how do you go about uh, about, about this? Um, after getting to know the client and what their concerns are and uh, making sure they feel comfortable, then, you know, we, um, I usually ask the client to get onto a table and um, to ask them to relax through a breathing technique and um, ask them to be receptive to the flow of the energy that, uh, for the well-being of them, uh, of that person. Um, as always, most people ask, hey, are you comfortable if I touch you? And it's a very gentle laying on of the hands at specific locations, or um, the, pra- the practitioner can just work a few inches above the body. Since we're working with energy anyway, you know, you don't have to touch a person. So it's very, um, very soothing for people who are sensitive to touch as well, um, who may be nervous or have anxiety about healing and being touched by others, too. Yeah. 
Um, so then it takes uh, anywhere from, it can be done in like 10, 15, 30 minutes is a great um, period of time as well, or to an hour. And uh, the practitioner is um, just being, become a open vessel, so to speak, <clears throat> a channel of where the Reiki energy can flow through the practitioner and flow into the client. And then the because we're working with a spiritual energy, then it doesn't it doesn't require like hey what's wrong with this person where in particular should I be addressing so that the uh, the Reiki energy just kind of guide itself and takes care of the restoring balance for a good energy flow into the client where it is needed. So, um, go ahead. Uh, yes, I was just going to ask, what uh, what kind of range of um, uh, problems do, do people uh, bring? What Why do they, in general, seek you out? Um, they come in for um, being stuck, personally, um, like... Um, a lot of times people will, like, be struggling with an issue and they will kind of get stuck, so to speak. They, they don't know how to move forward. Um, they've done all they can and they just can't seem to get over this hump. Uh, and uh, so then they'll come in and uh, there will be other times when um, someone who comes in regularly and, like, periodically, you know, three, four times a year and kind of top off their energy tank level, keep things in balance, keep things flowing well. So it could be as a maintenance mode. Um, or it could be people who have experienced um, trauma from the past um, and uh, whether they've gone through talk therapy prior to or not yet, um, not knowing what to, how to deal with an issue, Reiki can soothe the soul and uh, kind of open up the energy flow so that people can uh, empower themselves and have, when, when the physical body relaxes, you're, we have access to our own intuitive uh, intelligence so that we can then um, not be so identified with the physical pain, for example, then we can have access to, oh, maybe this is what I can do next. Mm. Uh, so you've anticipated my next question. Where this hour we're uh, we're focusing on healing from sexual trauma. You um, and so this could, Reiki can be used, uh, I guess, in conjunction with talk therapy um, preparation for um, alongside. Mm-hmm. Yep, all three. Um, it can be a. For me, it was. Um, I've personally had experienced a few sexual traumas myself, and um, and I went through talk therapy. Um, you know, and I was okay there for 10, 20 years, but then there was still lingering issue. Um, that's kind of like the pervading um, sense of I'm not good enough that a lot of people feel as as a natural human condition, unfortunately, and and so. When I found Reiki, then I learned that, oh, wow, you know, this can, this Reiki modality 
can help to soothe the soul, can we nourish my connection to a greater source of being, and um, and it can then, in turn, to me, kind of help me to um, no longer be disconnected from the love that's here, that's present for us, but we deny it in some ways, then I can kind of relax into that and then allow the um, the love and compassion and the healing for my own internal well-being to repair itself and to fill my own cup, my own vessel with that love that's here and always here. So. That's interesting. You you say you've you've gone you've gone through therapy yourself, and but this over time, it maybe problems came back, and it, it's um, I guess it's. Do people always have to be vigilant? Do you do you reach a point where, where where it's substantially better? I would say so. Yeah, substantially better. Um, yeah, um, substantially better to me. You know, probably different for people. Um, maybe for me, substantially better would be like I am stable. I am solid at the core. I feel good about myself, and I become a source where I can also then share my thriving skills um, with others so that they too can um, begin to or add to their healing modality or their techniques, uh, whether it be talk therapy or medication um, or um, family members support, uh, using Reiki as an additional tool than to be able to help themselves. Mm. So, yeah. Uh, it's interesting. I'm reading a, a brief bio uh, for you. Um, so you have a background in uh, what uh, engineering, project management. That's uh, kind of your career. Yeah. Uh, so that's, yes, that's my career. Mm-hmm. <laughs> seems like a different world from Reiki. Uh, you, you totally. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> how, how do you? Uh, how, yeah, I, and you, both of those are true in your life, right? So you compartmentalize, uh-huh. or, or do uh, do those different parts of your life come together? Great question. Um, it was something that I struggled with um, for a few years. That I, I, I'm like, okay, this is my work life, and then this is my hobby, my personal life. And I separated the two, and it took me a few years to really to realize that I am whole, and there are parts of me, and wherever I go, I carry all those parts with me, and I don't have to compartmentalize, and that people people really see you or feel you energetically, um, so. People are going to see me as a Reiki practitioner or a woo-woo person, and that's how they want to perceive me. It doesn't matter if it's at work or it's out in public. So, um, and I find it now that I'm actually creating a safe space for other people at work to talk about spirituality, to talk about healing modality, to talk about meditation, to talk about prayers, and that and that we are all human beings, and just because we come to work, especially in the technical field, we don't have to leave parts of our lives somewhere else. So it's actually become 
a healing journey for me, and and I find it such a gift to be able to share that possibility with others. And I find so many people that are are closet energy healers or closet meditators. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, do you do you feel like there's uh, there's more acceptance, uh, growing acceptance of these kind of um, beliefs modalities? Ab- mm-hmm. Absolutely, I think that more and more, especially we're going through this pandemic right now. Um, people are dealing with anxiety stress and worries constantly. That um, the resource. The resources that are available that people have been um, unwilling to try or not having the space uh, or the opportunity to try, it's really come into to the open now um, for people to experience meditation or energy healing and what that's like and being willing to receive it. And people are also, practitioners are also offering free services for people to try. Um, so it's a it's a great venue. Um, you know how do we how do we grow? We don't grow in comfort. We don't grow in safety. We unfortunately we go through pain and hardship. You know, a, a butterfly does not is, was not born a butterfly, but it it, it dissolves itself and breaks out from the chrysalis to become this beautiful butterfly from a caterpillar. So. We are going through that as we speak, and it's a great opportunity for for people to start looking into their internal self and their spiritual connection. Hmm. Well, we're reaching the end of our segment here. Anything else you'd like to say about the the subject for our our hour, which is healing from sexual trauma? Um, I, I want to encourage people, if they have been curious about Reiki, you know, that's kind of like a, a tug from the universe that says, hey, you know, here's an opportunity for for you or a modality that might be helpful to you. Look into it, whether, whether it be receiving a session or going to a class and getting trained as, Reiki, as a Reiki practitioner. You never have to share it, but you can give Reiki to yourself. And Reiki is a is a ideal modality for people who have um, experienced sexual traumas or any traumas because the Reiki does the restoration, the rebalancing for the person without having to relive the experience that caused the trauma. So it's a very safe way to add, um, to, add to healing for that for a person or for someone that you love. You're listening to Access Utah, and uh, my conversation there recorded on Friday with Daphne Larson, who's offered Healing Touch, Reiki, and uh, teaching um, and uh, and other vibrational healing since 2013. Uh, in her day job, as you heard there, she works in uh, project management and engineering. Uh, we're talking on the program today about uh, how survivors of sexual trauma overcome the mental health issues that often accompany these kinds of experiences. We're talking with survivors about their healing journeys, as well as a wide variety of healing uh, techniques and healers who have helped uh, people overcome trauma in many different ways. 
Uh, later in the program, we're going to be talking with Robin Lopez, who began social work in uh, 1993. She's moved into the realm of EDMR therapy and yoga healing. Uh, Amber Richardson is a storyteller, has uh, credits in many uh, mediums. Lila Smile, survivor of sexual abuse, whose own path to healing led her through counseling and eventually into her own healing work as a massage therapist and owner of a wellness center. After a break, we're going to be talking with Camille Italian, who has spent uh, two decades teaching healing through movement, and Alethea Cox, survivor of childhood sexual trauma, who started a nonprofit for children who've suffered abuse. She became a healer using vibrational sound. More following this break. This episode of Access Utah is made possible with support from Utah Women's Giving Circle, a grassroots community with everyday philanthropists raising the questions and raising the funds to empower Utah women and girls. Information at utahwomensgivingcircle.com. How do survivors of sexual trauma overcome the mental health issues that often accompany these kinds of experiences? Today in the program, we're talking with survivors about their healing journeys, as well as a wide variety of healers who help people overcome trauma in many different ways. And uh, our guests uh, include in this segment of the program, Camille Italian, who spent two decades teaching healing through movement. We'll also bring in Alethea Cox, a survivor of childhood sexual trauma, who um, started a nonprofit for children who've suffered abuse and became a healer using vibrational sound. Uh, so we bring in our two guests for this part of the program. Camille Italian, welcome to the program. Thank you. Appreciate you uh, being with us. And Alethea Cox, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Uh, so I'll start with you, Camille Italian. Uh, you're a faculty member at uh, Michael Chekhov School, Hudson, New York. And with the Michael Chekhov Organizations, a guest dance teacher and choreography at the United World College, uh, New Mexico, yoga studies faculty at New Mexico Highlands University, and uh, Ayurveda and somatic movement teacher and therapist with Sunrise Springs in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Uh, sounds like a busy life. Um, yes, it sounds more busy than it actually is, I think, <laughs> when you list it that way. But yes. <laughs> where, where, where are you located? You're in New Mexico, are you? Well, right now I'm in northern New Mexico, yes. Uh Um, Yeah. In Las Vegas? Actually, I'm even further east than Las Vegas. I'm in the Mora County. Yeah. And the only reason I ever... It's a very rural, remote area. (laughs) The only reason I knew there was a Las Vegas, New Mexico, is my brother went to New Mexico Highlands. So... And he, oh, that's funny. He enjoyed, okay. enjoyed the experience. He played football there and got his degree there. Um, and uh, Aletha Cox, um, you uh, have uh, gotten into uh, some very interesting uh, therapy. We'll, we'll hear your story as well um, as, as we go along. Where are you located? I'm out of Nimaca, Nevada. In Nevada. Okay. All right. Great. Well, let me start with you, uh, Camille Italian. Uh, Tell us a little bit of your story, how you got into uh, these modalities, uh, especially uh, healing through movement. Okay. Well, actually, the first thing I'd like to say is that I really don't consider myself a healer. I'm really a movement teacher, and through teaching movement, um, I have witnessed some beautiful healing journeys, but um, it's really not how I would consider myself. Um, But anyway, going back to your question, my background really is in modern dance. I was a professional dancer for a couple of decades in Europe and uh, traveled a lot through that. And in parallel to that dancing career, I I, uh, researched myself um, several modalities that would help me either continue on dancing without pain or without too much pain or 
um, heal myself from physical traumas that would uh, keep occurring because of the just the the high physical demands of a, of a healing uh, of a, of a dancing career. And so some of these modalities, I mean, really, the the yoga is what I started with at a young age, um, but also body mind centering, Feldenkrais, um, several. Um, kinesthetic um, approaches to dancing, um, things like releasing technique, um, which led me on to myofascial releasing, um, craniosacral therapy. Um, the list is kind of handless because I have had to find my own way through um, healing and finding a sustainable way for me to keep dancing and eventually just keep um, living harmoniously in my body. Uh, so tell me what you say. You've seen some uh, beautiful experiences of people healing through movement. Uh, tell me a bit about that. Well, by that I mean really witnessing the acceptation that you cannot heal yourself. Only nature can do that. So really, the what a movement practice can provide for you. Uh, granted that movement is fully embodied and. Um, by that, um, I mean that you, you are able to enter a process of awareness, perception, and consciousness that is um, a being process rather than a doing process. So when we think of movement, we usually think of physical action. Um, but really, um, in this context, movement is much more than that. Um, movement is a process of becoming embodied. Um, and so, so in the doing of that, you promote you promote a context for people to listen um, to to what's there. And I think that witnessing somebody in the process of recovering the ability to listen to the intelligence of their own body um, is is what I have witnessed in uh, you know. Um, in successful cases, let's say, of, uh, of dealing with healing. Um, so I can explain this a little bit more. I'm, I'm aware that this can be uh, a little tricky if you're not familiar with this uh, embodiment language and somatization process. But essentially, um, each person has a special essence, yeah, an ongoing core vibrational pattern. And um, that unique pattern is what establishes your sense of uh, who you are in um, in Ayurveda, which is the you know the sister science to yoga, which deals with the physical body. That special essence, let's say, would be referred to as your constitution, and that is unique to any uh, particular individual. So, when you are in a movement class or when you start a movement session with a with a student or a patient or a person simply, um, you have to start from where they are. And when there is uh, trauma, um, there is uh, there's disturbance in that core vibrational pattern or there's blockage, you could say. In yoga, we would call this apana or um, a blockage in the apana channel. So in other words, the body-mind is no longer able to let go of the things she doesn't need and she's now holding on to things that are detrimental to herself. So what embodied movement promotes um, is a context in which you allow or you tap into the cellular awareness of the person who is both leading the session and receiving 
the guidance to enter that uh, cellular awareness so that the cell themselves can get on with their process. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, we're talking with Camille Italian, and we'll return to her uh, just a little bit later in the segment. I want to turn to uh, Alethea Cox. Um, so, Alethea Cox, tell us a little bit about your background. You, I understand you suffered child abuse, lived in foster care system, but went on to a highly successful career. Tell us a little bit about that. So, um, yeah, thanks Thanks for sharing that. First off, Tom, one, one thing I want to add to this is that, you know, looking at the numbers of sexual trauma, um, in my experience, it was as a child and one in four girls and one in seven uh, boys before the age of 18 will have experienced sexual abuse, um, likely from a loved one or someone they know, as, as statistics are indicated. And then, you know, if you continue to grow that out as we get older and these other sexual traumas that can take place, these experiences that un- we are so unfortunate to to have, our numbers get so significant. Then, if you try to have a relationship using those staggering numbers as a society, we, uh, and if we're not healed, which many of us um, uh, have a difficult time finding things that work for us uh, moving forward. I know in my experience back in the 80s, what they used was talk therapy, which I call trauma therapy, because it re-traumatized me every single time. Um, and so with that, I had to find ways to find my own healing, to find my own worth to release shame. And I say this in this way because I believe that so many um, individuals out there in society, uh, especially now that, you know, life has taken a, a, a temporary pause and we don't get to fill our life with all these things that sound out what is still resonating in us. Um, sexual trauma has been known to stay with us for a lifetime. And so we've got to find something that allows us uh, to be released from from those things, whether they be memories, physical responses, mental health is a huge one. Another one is the toxic stress that takes place when sexual trauma takes place. And toxic stress stays as a memory in those cells, but it causes problems within our physical bodies. So many of us have high issues of medical uh, issues uh, that has been scientifically proven. And so with that seeking, I just happened to be a fortunate one that found myself in a career helping others and then later was able to be a part of setting up a national nonprofit um, uh, for individuals such as these adversities that have taken place. But one thing um, that I, I have found is the drum. And looking back uh, at history and societies, uh, the drum the frame drum has been in Neolithic and Paleolithic times, and it's just in our time that there's this gap of no sound vibration necessarily from, from this drum. And so when I got um, having this experience, I was finding relief, but what I didn't understand is the science behind it, such as cymatics. And what cymatics says in science is that sound vibration can be seen as a physical result. 
And um, if you do some research and study on your own with that, you'd be fascinated with what they've been able to discover, um, such as some of the sacred geometry pieces we've seen throughout civilization and history, and always wondered how one continent had the same symbol as another continent. But again, that psycho, uh, that cymatics. And then also learning that the drum works at the neuroscience level. And so to break this down, basically we have two hemispheres of our brain. And most of us, when we have these experiences of, of sexual abuse or sexual traumas, we go in the fight or flight system of our brain, which is called the limbic system. And the limbic system doesn't work in balance. It doesn't work with the right side of the brain. It doesn't work with the left side of the brain. So what happens is, is we have all these chemicals going on in our bodies and we learn different behaviors how to survive, right? Fight or flight. But we don't necessarily know how to function otherwise using the right and the left side of the hemisphere. And so neuroscience shows that the vibration and sound waves that resonate from the drum actually sync up the two hemispheres so that they work in balance and takes us into these higher, deeper brain waves, like the alpha waves, where the connection of consciousness is. And it's been shown that with that type of stimulation, it resonates at the cellular level. So the vibration itself is actually vibrating our cells. And, you know, stopping and thinking for a moment, they use ultrasound um, to, to see pictures of, of, of babies um, and, and, you know, using uh, modalities in, in the hospital, even if you have a kidney stone. That sound is being used to blast those stones. So it's seen in other areas of life. And to stop and think, what does a frame drum, you know, with this rigorous, busy lifestyle that I had, um, trying to survive and find things at work. I just had no time for a toy or for another hobby until I sat down and understood what the drum was actually doing for us at the the neuroscience level and releasing those memories and helping us um, uh, repattern our brain out of the limbic system into a more functioning uh, processes uh, that we have. You know, natural rhythms have been a part of us. Um, it's found in in life uh, as plants, and it's found in animals. It's found in the mother's heartbeat from from the time we're you know starting to even come into this world and this life. So, you know, the the drum itself has been a huge tool at getting the body into homeostasis. So, using that left and right brain hemisphere in in syncing up those brains with a a, a moderate drum beat that anyone everybody has their own drum beat their own their own um and it comes very natural when you allow that to happen that right and that left brain going in equal balance puts the body into physical homeostasis and in homeostasis uh the body cannot and does not produce as i understand uh from science it does not allow for disease to continue so it puts everything in a shutoff spot and if you stop and you think about it, these drums were used for pain. Um, they were used uh, for so many different things in history. So they were, you know, they were used at helping birth children um, to get the, the mom's pain level down. Um, so in modern day, uh, I find so many individuals, I, I help create the drums. I'm a, a sacred drum maker and show individuals how to create their own tool, um, give them a couple of experiences, and then allow the drum to teach them. And it's been just a really beautiful thing to see individuals make steps in their own progress for their own healing to their own health. 
let's uh, just a couple of follow-up questions uh, for our listeners. Um, I believe uh, we've got a dial tone. Um, so I think we uh, we need to... Uh, um, we'll, we'll, we'll get that fixed uh, here. Let me turn back to uh, Camille Italian. Um, or maybe Camille has left us. Is that the case? Okay. Uh, well, let's, let's one, a follow-up question then with, uh, Alethea Cox, um, with, um, with our social distancing and with, with COVID-19 and everything, uh, I wonder what you'd say about, you know, moving off of, uh, healing from trauma, uh, how some of these modalities can, uh, c- could help, um, when we're just uh, sort of feeling alone. Well, um, I, I love that you asked that question because what I've heard from, uh, you know, I've, I've helped put hundreds of people into to drums. It, it's fascinating to hear their stories. And so if I may, without mentioning names, share, you know, with them, uh, a lot of times individuals that might be struggling for uh, feeling unsettled, which, you know, we're in those times right now with the uh, the state of of our country and the world, and um, using that drumbeat, uh, kind of creating uh, these endorphins that get released. So when we're in stressful times, such as this world's shaken upside down, our regular routines can't take place, we don't know when it's going to end, uh, we're watching the news, we're having a lot of things coming into us that are maybe negative, um, the the drum itself, and if you don't have a drum, you can make one. Uh, tin cans are amazing. Uh, uh, your your workers' buckets, uh, your five gallon buckets, tip them upside down. Find a stick um, or a or, or a wooden spoon, uh, and it'll suffice. But what it does is it actually creates those endorphins. So when you get done doing this, even in the silence of your own space, at any time. By nature, uh, the physical response that the body takes is this release of like, ah, and you feel like you just got a massage because you did it at a cellular level throughout your whole body. So it it can be very um, useful at times like this. I hope Uh, that answered you. Yes, yes, indeed. Thank you. I believe we have uh, Camille back on, do we? Yeah, uh, sorry, yes, I'm here. <laughs> sorry for dropping you there. Uh, we just wanted a uh, follow-up question, uh, moving off of, uh, just for a moment, moving off of, uh, of healing, um, and uh, ask uh, Alethea about this as well. I want to ask you the same thing. Uh, so we're social distancing and sometimes feeling alone. I wonder uh, what you say about, you know, you know movement to, to help us with that or anything else that you work with, yoga. Right. Um well, I mean, I think the, you know, the yoga is an interesting uh, medium, although the yoga really isn't that concerned with the physical body, but nonetheless, what we are familiar with the most is uh, uh, the the part of the yoga that is called uh, asana practice, right? The practice of uh, gentle physical movement or poses, um, and these are essentially seats um, in which your mind can be uh, a little bit calmer than it would uh, normally be. But that all has to do with that cellular awareness and that cellular uh, consciousness that uh, we have both been referring to. So when you feel lonely, you have a, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to come up with an answer that, uh, that makes sense to where I think most of us might find uh, loneliness to 
to manifest as um, the the feeling of loneliness as a, a feeling of disconnection uh, from others, but also from the place you are in. And so really the way in which you can uh, uh, practice uh, movement by not by just moving your body around, uh, granted that that's always useful to take a walk or even clean your outside windows on a sunny day, let's say, that's always going to make you feel better than uh, confined in your lethargy on the sofa or, uh, mm-hmm. at home. But while we are at home, let's say, if we, if we engage in a practice where we listen, so there's a big moment of pause. We don't have to do anything. We can just follow simple things like our respiration or the, the patterns of sensation that arises in the body. So we have, in a way, we have a point of focus where we can simply trace what's there without any expectation of where it should be or where it should go, what it should look like, etc., etc. And in the doing of that, there's a greater intelligence that can show up there, which is the cellular intelligence that, again, you know, it's there everywhere, right? No, actually no um, holistic ways of interacting in the world can happen without this cellular intelligence to uh, be present. So what we do is that in this listening moment, we recover this ability to really feel what's there. And that includes where we are. So, you know, some of us may have not questioned where it is that we are, that land we are in, the history of that land, the stories of that land, that sense of belonging. Um, And then the moment you reestablish a direct relationship with your own uh, body-mind, with yourself, with your respiration, with the environment around you, maybe in confined place or in a big outside expensive place, you come back to being in a relationship with. And in the doing of that, you also uh, remember um, that uh, there is a direct uh, connection between you and this environment. You just have to listen to that. Yeah. And so in this time of pandemic, right, that's a, it's a big, uh, in a way, it's a big chance for us to, uh, to, to remember that. And, and further, uh, you know, furthermore, I would say that um, if we are able to accept that this whole uh, world is interconnected cellularly and otherwise, then there is no way that I can have my own private health at home separate from the health of the greater organism or the greater uh, environment that I am a part of. So um, so that, that would be, you know, that would be my invitation within this modality would be to, to really pause, listen, and then once this, uh, once this understanding and embodiment of, oh, I am actually directly connected to that, then I can stop, um, you know, wishful thinking that is going nowhere. I can, I can stop all these uh, busy voices in my mind that are actually getting in the way of the healing. Um, so there's, you know, that would, so that would be my main thing, you know, accept that it's actually okay to not feel so great right now because there is no way that you could yeah. given the general health. Right, <laughs> right, exactly. Well, we've uh, reached the end of this uh, segment. Uh, Camille Italian uh, teaches healing through uh, movement. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you very much. And uh, Alethea Cox uh, works with vibrational sound. Thank you so much. Thank you.
Uh, coming up following a break, we're going to be talking with Amber Richardson. She's a storyteller. Uh, we'll talk with Robin uh, Lopez, who works with EDMR, and Lila Smile, um, who is uh, works with Massage Therapy's owner of a wellness center. All of that coming up following this break. This episode of Access Utah is made possible with support from Utah Women's Giving Circle, a grassroots community with everyday philanthropists raising the questions and raising the funds to empower Utah women and girls. Information at utahwomensgivingcircle.com. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. How do survivors of sexual trauma overcome the mental issues that, uh, mental health issues that often accompany these kinds of experiences? We're talking on the program today with survivors about their healing journeys, as well as a wide variety of healers who help people overcome trauma in many different ways. We bring in now uh, Amber Richardson, who is a storyteller with credits in many mediums. She's produced a YouTube series, Splitting the Sky, with a podcast on Sovereign Wings, performed in festivals and plays such as Mother Woe of the Morning by Carolyn Pearson. Common thread running through her creative work is a desire to expand female experience within a spiritual context. And she's on Instagram at richardson.amb. Amber Richardson, welcome to the program. Do we have Amber Richardson on? Uh, sounds like uh, we don't have her on yet, so... Um, hello? Uh, h- hello. Uh, who's uh, sorry? Who is this? This is Lila. Hi, Lila. Uh, let me give you your introduction. Lila is a survivor of sexual abuse whose own path to healing led her through a lot of counseling, eventually to her own healing work as a massage therapist, owner of the wellness center. Lila, welcome to the program. Thank you. Uh, so, tell us briefly your your story. Um, well, I was I was pretty little. Mine was from a relative, um, so. I, I going back in counseling, it was always hard to pinpoint from my memory, but I was probably around five years old when it started um, and went into about 11, 12 years old. Um, so I went through the process of, you know, it being family. Um, about 15, 16 years old, I tried to speak out and um, got the backlash <laughs> of everyone around me for actually speaking out. Um, so I went through what most victims go through in a family situation where there's other, because there was other dysfunctionalities in the family, and so um, I went through that. Um, really, truly wasn't believed at all through my family, and kind of went introverted, um, multiple suicide attempts, and just kind of that dark way of living, um, and then through series of miracles, what I call miracles in my life. I met my husband when I was uh, 17. We married at 18. Um, He helped me. I had dropped out of high school, and he had helped me um, get my GED and go to college. And, you know, he just had this belief system in me that I wasn't this damaged goods, (laughs) per se, um, and that I could get better. Um, and so I went to college, and I started out in psychology. I had uh, really wanted to do psychology, but as I did psychology through college as I started, I realized that I wasn't better 
uh, it was more like there was a click in my brain that I needed to um, get better myself before I helped other people. Um, but I still wasn't quite healed. And so I, a couple years later, some, I started to self-sabotage with drinking and, and um, doing things that I shouldn't do to try and heal uh, or numb the pain. So then I went into, um, and my marriage started to fall apart, and then my husband again kind of came back in and kind of said, you know, we can make this work. I don't think this is you. And so then that's when I started counseling, and then I did a, a multiple series of counseling sessions with uh, through my church. They sent me to a sexual abuse counselor. I had gone to counselors before, I have to say, and maybe there's others out there that have done this, but I had gone to counselors before, and they weren't helpful. <laughs> they, they weren't um, supportive or helpful, and usually it was through a family. You know, they just wanted me to, like, start denying that it happened and make them look good and go on with life. And you don't go on with life after something like that, especially a whole childhood full of it. Um, so then that's how I, that's how I got started into, um, uh, after that, that's how I got started into more of the alternative healing methods and massage. And, um, I found a lot of healing through that. And then I wasn't directly, I could heal mentally through the counseling for myself. And then through the massage, I could help others feel good touch, um, and very quickly started to get a lot of uh, clients who were um, sexually abused themselves and couldn't handle touch at first. And so I started to learn how to massage without, um, I could start doing just the foot massage, or I could, and I could help reintroduce um, safe and good touch to people, because we are meant to have good touch. Um, but I could reintroduce safe touch and, and help them... Um, come forward and say that they've been abused and then they could start their own journey of healing from there. Mm, yeah, very interesting. Uh, let, let's, uh, we've been talking with Lila Smile. Uh, let's bring in Amber Richardson. Are you there? I am. Hi. Hi. And uh, Robin Lopez, are you with us? Yes, I am. Oh, great. Let me turn to Amber <coughs> Richardson. Uh, had a little trouble getting you on the phone, so I, I gave your uh, brief bio there. Uh, so you're a storyteller. Tell me about that. That's right. Uh, I perform at storytelling festivals, and I have various digital platforms through which I tell stories. Several years back, I was running a YouTube series called Splitting the Sky, which um, interviewed women about their uh, spiritual kind of awakening experiences. And while doing that, we had one piece that reached a really large audience that went viral, and that elicited um, quite a number of responses from our viewership, women um, suggesting themselves as potential interviewees for this uh, YouTube show. And about half of the women who responded um, indicated that they wanted to tell a story about how an experience of sexual abuse or assault intersected with spirituality and this was before the Me Too movement, so it kind of caught me off guard. I was surprised at the volume of women who wanted to talk about how sexual abuse affected their faith. 
But I saw that there was a need and I was looking for a new project. At the time, I thought I was probably a good candidate for facilitating something like that because I had a lot of empathy for um, women who'd been sexually abused. But uh, to my knowledge, the only experiences I'd had with assault were relatively minor. So I started conceptualizing the project. um, And about six months in, I had a repressed memory of childhood rape come back which really changed um, the landscape of what I was doing. So that project is on Sovereign Wings. It's a podcast where I host, where I interview other survivors of sexual abuse and assault, and I also work with a sex therapist. Um, So every other episode, I interview the sex therapist, whose name is Tasha Diaz, and we kind of unpack the story that we heard the episode before. Um, So that's how storytelling and sexual abuse and assault kind of intersect in my life with that podcast on Sovereign Wings. Yeah, very interesting. Um, and that you, your experience probably not uh, completely unique, right? There are probably other survivors out there who have repressed memories that uh, have come back or maybe will come back. Yeah, definitely. The statistic that I heard most recently is that um, I think the average for people whose memories are repressed is that they'll go underground for like 19 years before returning. For me, it was about, um, I was raped when I was four, and the memory came back when I was 28, so it took uh, 24 years. But yeah, not uncommon at all, especially if you were really young when it happened or if the act was um, particularly violent. Uh, The brain is really, really smart, and in an effort to protect you from the full brunt of the trauma, it will kind of hide away uh, those memories until you can get to the point where you, you know, have the right support system in place and the wherewithal to kind of look um, into the belly of the monster, if you will. Mm-hmm. So, I yeah, I have a lot of contacts who've had similar experiences, and it's not as crazy as as it sounds. <laughs> uh, just alert listeners, we'll uh, go over the top of the hour here a little bit. Um, you'll get the full TED Radio Hour. Uh, so don't worry about that. Uh, I want to turn to uh, Robin Lopez. I understand you began social work in 1993, moved into the realm of AD- EDMR therapy and yoga. So tell me your story in brief, and then tell me about EDMR. It's uh, EMDR. Is, e- EMDR. Um, it, uh, EM- yes, EMDR. I'm a licensed clinical social worker, and I just want to give a little bit of background. So I got my degree in social work back in 1993, and at that time, a lot of people were just going straight into their master's program. And one of the things that the, um, I'm sorry, I don't know the person's name that was talking when I got on the call, but she was talking about how she went into psychology and then wasn't, you know, knew that she wasn't ready to start help um, people to heal. And that's where I was. And so it took me about 17 years before I actually went back and got my master's degree. And when I did that, um, my whole intent was I am not going to work with people with trauma. And then that's been my whole practice since that time. And so it's been it's very interesting. And the reason, it, the true reason is, is because of the um, training in EMDR. EMDR stands for Eye Movement Desensitization Training or um, Reprocessing. And it's um, what it does is it's a lot of body work. It works on the um, 
belief systems and the held in emotions that are held in our bodies. If you've ever heard that term, our issues are stored in our tissues. Literally, they are. There's been a lot of work done um, by um, Bissell van der Kolk and others that have um, shown how our body keeps the score, is Bissell van der Kolk's book. And um, EMDR is what it does, is it goes into the hippocampus, is what happens in the brain when trauma um, happens is that there's so there's such a flood of sensory information that the brain isn't able to fully process what happened, and so generally it takes about two weeks for the brain to process a regular day, anywhere from two days to two weeks. And if it takes longer than two weeks to to um, process something like store it, to store it in the brain correctly, the brain just moves has to move on, and so it gets stored in the hippocampus part of the brain, which is current memory, and that's why um, people have trauma triggers and they won't even know, they don't necessarily know where they're coming from, but they're reacting to situations in, um, in ways that they normally wouldn't and they don't really know why they're reacting that way, and it's also that um, fight, flight, freeze response comes out of that, uh, you know, connects to the amygdala. But it basically is what the brain is doing is whenever something triggers that past memory, whether you remember it or not, the brain is saying it's happening right now, it's happening right now because it's stored as a current memory. And, the, and so the body responds. And so it's what EMDR is doing is going in and helping people to pull out um, what's stored in the hippocampus that hasn't been processed through and helps them to process through that. And so, like, the, the caller that was just on that said that she had repressed memories, the beauty of EMDR is it's not about whether or not you remember the trauma but, um, or that it's, um, quote-unquote, proven that it happens. It's um, where you feel it in your body. And so it's, it's more, if, if, there's, if it's bringing up sensations, uncomfortable sensations in your body, and you, just, and you know that there's something just not right, that's something that needs to be worked through. So it's, it's not about, um, tell me your memory, and, and I need to know all the details about the memory. It's, where are you feeling it in your body? And then I, um, I use either eye movement or um, tapping that helps, that mimics the REM sleep process and helps the, um, in REM is when we, we're processing through the day and storing our memories correctly. And so this stimulates that process and helps people to move that memory um, into stored memory. And it actually helps you to adaptively process and you come out with a new belief system that's actually innately in you that was just covered up because of the trauma. <clears throat> Very good. Uh, and uh, I'd like to follow up with each of you, but unfortunately we've reached uh, the end of our time. So um, we appreciate each of you telling your, your story. Robin Lopez uh, works with EMDR and, and yoga. Thank you so much. Yes. Uh, Amber Richardson, a storyteller. Um, and you can uh, find her on YouTube, a Splitting the Sky a podcast on Sovereign Wings. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for having me. And Lila Smile, uh, who is the owner of a wellness center and a massage therapist. Thank you so much. Thank you. And we've been talking about uh, sexual trauma. How, uh, how do you heal from sexual trauma? We've heard a lot of different uh, uh, modalities and uh, just encouragement for uh, anyone to, uh, to seek help um, yeah, from, from sexual trauma. 
we will uh, have information, of course, here up on the, on the website as well. Thanks to everyone who's participated today, and uh, thanks for listening to Access Utah.